Hi, everyone. I'm Ryan Estes, the host of this podcast. As I record this, next week is Thanksgiving. So while we're preparing to make pies and stuffing and cranberry sauce, and while gratitude is on our minds, let me list a few of the things that I am grateful for. I think I can speak for the entire team here at Frontline Education when I say that we're grateful for you, men and women working all over the country to provide a great education for our kids. More personally, I'm also grateful that you're listening to Field Trip, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We'll be back in December with more stories from leaders who are knocking it out of the park in their schools. But right now, we're going to look at some kind of surprising data around teacher evaluations in America. If that's your jam, great. And if not, no problem. We'll see you in December. From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip. Gone are the days of teachers cringing at the thought of evaluation season, wondering what their score will mean for their salary, or if it will hurt their chances of getting that promotion. Well, maybe not entirely, but that's the hope anyway. In the post-No Child Left Behind era, the Every Student Succeeds Act has returned a lot of decision-making power around teacher evaluations to the states, and policymakers are hoping that teacher evaluations will be used first and foremost as a tool to support teacher growth. So is that what's happening? The Frontline Research and Learning Institute set out to look at the data to find out what kind of impact evaluation reform has had on evaluation scores, and then what that can tell us about the effect these changes are having. We spoke with Sarah Silverman, the author of the report, Bending Toward Accuracy, How Teacher Evaluations Are Evolving. Sarah is from Whiteboard Advisors, the social impact consulting firm that partnered with Frontline to analyze this data. I asked Sarah to first give me a sense of the current landscape around teacher evaluations. Sure. So I, uh, I, I myself have a kind of storied history with educator evaluation. I started my career as an educator uh, and spent some time in the era right after Race to the Top was launched, which was about 2009. And Race to the Top focused on making some pretty sweeping reforms to the ways that talent management was working in terms of state policies and also at the district level. So I spent some time during that period working specifically with state leaders and and often committees of folks that included educators, uh, union officials, folks from state legislatures, uh, or legislative staff rather, uh, governor's offices, and school district leaders trying to figure out how to create new educator evaluation systems that rather than following a sort of time-tested tact of having a satisfactory, unsatisfactory kind of checklist approach, uh, instead we're more focused on differentiating among various characteristics and qualities of, of teaching that educators hopefully could use to better inform their thinking about what they were good at, what they needed to improve upon, uh, and also guide things like coaching between supervisors or uh, instructional leaders and, and individual educators. So we, we, we put a, a great deal of effort into trying to create those systems in ways that were clear and that were helpful, both to leaders and to educators themselves. And in some cases, those efforts, I think, played out fairly well. People found them really valuable and were able to connect them with professional learning. In other cases, the design uh, or the purpose were less clear and, and ultimately capacity inside school buildings and districts often limited a lot of folks from implementing the systems as, as 
they were designed to be. And so that sometimes created less positive experiences for educators and for um, for staff. And in addition, there, there was a kind of veil of political pressure. So Race to the Top was, of course, a, a federal initiative and states had the choice to participate in it. But there was this kind of sense that it was about blaming teachers for longstanding challenges in terms of student outcomes. And and while I, I believe, and uh, and I know many do, that our effort was really focused on trying to create something that was going to be more helpful to educators. Unfortunately, a lot of folks perceived and in some cases actually experienced systems that were uh, that felt more punitive than actually helpful. When you set out to look at teacher evaluations today, were there specific questions that you wanted to answer? What made you say, we need to look at data around this issue? Yeah, so folks who are who are in education will certainly recognize that there is a tendency to have initiatives sort of pop up and sort of catch fire for a while and then in a lot of ways disappear over time. And we were thinking, you know, it's it's been uh, five or six years since folks have started to implement these systems. We're really quite curious now that the pressures, uh, both in terms of the end of the Race to the Top grant and, and the introduction of new uh, elementary and secondary education reauthorization, you know, we were curious, whatever came of those efforts, to what extent were the incredible amounts of time and energy that district and, and school officials put into creating these new systems actually playing out in terms of the promise of, of actually delivering better information that could help educators improve their practice over time. And so what we started started with was, where are we now? What does the field look like in terms of who's implementing and, and what are they implementing? And then we, we kind of continued down the, the research path from there. Before we get into what you found, tell me, how was the study conducted? What data were you looking at? Sure. So we decided to use data from the, the last uh, five years uh, and we really focused on findings from the last three years. We, we took a look at information we collected from uh, education systems that had implemented electronic evaluation processes. So they had adopted some sort of new evaluation rubric, and then they were collecting data on a regular basis and using an online system to um, to track and measure progress uh, in their evaluation system. And so we ended up with data from across the United States, from um, school districts, large and small, from urban, suburban, and rural districts, a really broad cross-section of um, uh, of school districts that have uh, implemented at some point over the last five years uh, an, an electronic evaluation system. And we we tried to attend to the extent to which um, folks had been implementing for, for just a couple of years versus those who had been implementing for, for a longer period. So we, we did sort of incorporate districts that started that started their evaluation processes during one of those years, even if they hadn't been implementing the full time. Okay. And as a sidebar, why would you say it's so important to use data as we consider teacher performance? So I think one of the things that we all um, we, we all like to, to believe that we are better at evaluating others' performance than we probably are. I think some recent uh, data and actually some, some data that has come out, I think, a few times from uh, the researcher Marcus Buckingham, who... Uh, has been at Gallup and, and ADP and, and has, I think, done a tremendous amount of work kind of looking at the distinction between what we believe and, and what we can tell from, from data. And he's observed that our ability in the absence of good information, um, like regularly collected data that, that is against some sort of independent protocol, is not excellent. Um, and other researchers have, have supported that finding as well. 
And so I think it's particularly important for us to take a look at data, particularly in this format, where we can look at broad trends, not just how good one individual might be at evaluating another individual, but where we can look at broad trends in terms of what we, what's happening around the implementation itself, but also what is happening as a result of the implementation uh, of these new educator evaluation systems. I think looking at those trends helps us spot things that we may not see if we're just looking at one classroom or one school or even one state. Okay, so let's get down to it. What did you find as you conducted this study and wrote this report? Did anything in particular stand out as especially interesting to you? Yeah, so when educator evaluation systems, uh, let's call them post-reform systems, were initially implemented uh, about five years ago, what we we found was rather disappointing. What we, we had hoped would happen was that evaluators in the presence of a a thorough training system and a well-vetted rubric for performance would do a better job of identifying some discrete and specific skills that educators either could improve upon or were especially good at and should be uh, exemplars to the rest of the school. And, And what instead happened is that by and large, most educators were evaluated in the top tier or or at least in the top two tiers of their performance rubric. So they, they were effectively still getting that satisfactory check uh, and not necessarily getting really kind of specific information about their performance. And so folks, I think, concluded back then that the effort was maybe a wash in terms of its ability to to create better outcomes and, and perhaps a problem from the standpoint that it, it increased the amount of work that was necessary to implement uh, educator evaluation systems. And so what we found was a bit surprising. What what happened was not that that ratings kind of inflated over time and as as pressures wore off that that people just sort of gave educators a a, a satisfactory mark and moved on. But instead, essentially the opposite happened. As, as those pressures dissipated and folks were able to use the systems uh, or felt that they were able to use the systems as they were originally designed, the average scores actually started to decline. Um, that, that started happening a couple years after implementation. So, so about three years ago, average scores actually started to decline. And, and we think that's not a bad thing. You might think off the top of your head, geez, if, if educator evaluation scores are declining, does that mean educators are, are getting worse? And we really don't think so. We think what's happening is actually that these systems are doing a better job of being more accurate indicators of performance. And that that really has a pretty tremendous opportunity to to create space for educators and their instructional leaders to identify places where they can most intelligently put their time and resources to work on continuous improvement. And we approach this from the mindset that, you know, of course, there are educators who are exemplary and there are probably many educators who are exemplary in at least one area. But we also know from research that it takes it takes several years to really hone your craft and it it requires that in education as well as lots of other domains. And so we we really shouldn't expect otherwise. So we think what we're finding here is that uh, evaluators who are often principals or uh, other instructional leaders are able to actually get more accurate and feel more confident giving those ratings when the outcome is really uh, connected to helping people improve as opposed to fear about other more punitive outcomes that may not be helpful. I asked Sarah to go out on a limb a little bit and speculate about the reasons behind these findings. 
the best we can really do at this point is is probably create a kind of informed hypothesis uh, that we really would love to dig into a little bit further and, and try to understand more. But I think that there are probably three things at play. Number one, people are getting more used to these new evaluation systems. So as I mentioned, we had decades of implementation of the satisfactory, unsatisfactory approach to educator evaluation systems. And that had become normative. It had become an exercise that was not so much designed for improvement purposes, but really to, to document cases where folks' performance was was really below a, a threshold uh, of acceptability. And you know, certainly we should counsel out folks whose performance is consistently really quite poor. But what, where the real value is, is in helping people who come with a variety of different skills, uh, ultimately hone the skills that they need that are best aligned with the students in their schools and classrooms. So, so number one, I think folks are getting, uh, evaluators are getting more comfortable with the system and educators probably themselves too are getting more comfortable with the system. Number two, you know, one of the things I alluded to is this sort of notion of political pressure. Um, so the idea that educator evaluation was going to somehow identify the people who are good and the people who are bad and then maybe fire the bad people or otherwise create conditions that would cause them to leave their roles. And I think that was a fairly cynical view, although in certain cases that that did seem to bear out. And so it's not an unfair <laughs> concern. But I think that that pressure, that sense of pressure has really gone away. One of the things we did see in the data is that in the immediate term after the, those who implemented in the first year of our data set, um, there were a number of folks who were evaluated at the at the kind of bottom of the scale, and those people did appear to be counseled out or to leave the system. So there may have been a case where there were a number of people who were continuing to operate as educators who probably should have been counseled out much sooner, and this was a, an opportunity to do that for school districts. But by and large, districts are not using educator evaluation systems as a as a means to uh, figure out how to get rid of people, so to speak, or for for um, what I would consider not particularly moral purposes. Uh, it seems instead that they're actually using these systems to try to give people good and accurate information. And I think that has increased the trust in the system. And it also has increased the trust in the, you know, the, the approach by individuals who are responsible for evaluation to do those in a, in a fair and accurate manner. Uh, and then the third thing I think is, you know, in addition to comfort with the system and a sense that the pressure is off, I think the third thing is there's a desire to have better and, and more helpful information. Everywhere we look, this sort of notion of having better evidence, and to, to the question that you raised at the beginning of the conversation, the notion of having data uh, that helps kind of check our general intuition, which may not always be reliable, is something that more and more folks, I think, are, are expecting. And maybe that's because there are more data available in more domains. Maybe that's because generationally people are, are uh, seem to be looking for more specific feedback and, and attention to their performance. I'm not sure exactly what that might be, but I think that the the idea that having good information and having more frequent access to information that helps focus uh, energy and attention around performance uh, is a good thing is causing these, these scores to bend, as we've said, toward accuracy, uh, toward a more uh, appropriate and accurate uh, reflection of people's performance. All right. Well, Sarah, one more question here, and that is, how do we get these numbers off of the page, off of the spreadsheet? What are action items that we can take away from this or that educators and school and district leaders can, can actually take away and do with some of these findings that we've seen in this report? 
Yeah, that's one thing that we are very hopeful people will will do. Um, so, so number one, we always suggest that people take a look at their own data. We've taken a look at these broad trends to try to draw attention to things that might be happening in one's own district or one's own school, or even one's own classroom in some cases. But it's really important to try to contextualize this with data from your own system. And so number one, uh, take a moment to take a look at, at, at those data. And it doesn't actually take a lot. Uh, if you've got an electronic uh, evaluation system, you should be able to fairly easily run a report. And for those using uh, frontline systems, we, we have some tools that will help you do that. But for, for the most part, if you've got an electronic system, you should be able to run your report and, and take a look at what the distribution of, of evaluation scores looks like and see, are you seeing that most people are still scoring in the top tier? Are you seeing that people are starting to, to move into the second or third tier of performance? Uh, and if so, you know what, what might be happening in your district or your school over the course of time that you're looking at that report and, uh, and, and that might help you kind of explain what's going on. Then number two, uh, once you've taken a look at what your data look like, I think you can develop a strategy for responding to it. So if you are in a district where you continue to have the vast majority of folks performing at the highest level, you might want to take a look at your student performance outcomes and see if your educator effectiveness and your student performance outcomes sort of align with one another. If, you're, if your teachers are performing very, very well and your students are, are really not performing well, this sort of raises the question, what if anything could educators be doing differently or should educators be learning to do differently to better serve the needs of the students in your, uh, in your school or district? Uh, and then third, we always suggest that folks, uh, once they've they've identified what action needs to happen, that they develop an action plan and, and try to hold themselves accountable to looking at the data really regularly to making sure that their uh, action plan, to make sure that their action plans uh, are actually being implemented and they're, they're seeing outcomes as a result of the goals and objectives that they've set. So we think that for the most part, folks are going to find that their, their data are bending, but also still not perfect reflections. Uh, not that they'll ever be perfect, but they're, they're, they're not necessarily the, the most accurate reflections yet of, of educator performance. So one thing that folks might want to spend time doing is thinking about what is the goal of our educator evaluation system and how far are we from actually meeting that goal? If your goal is to create a system that reflects educators' real performance and provides them with helpful, actionable feedback, uh, it's going to be important that there's not a, that you're not sort of pulling punches, so to speak. It's going to be important that you are really giving accurate and as much as possible uh, aligned information to the to the rubric that you're using. That's really helpful to someone to understand the difference between what might be a developing skill versus an effective skill, or an effective skill versus a highly effective skill. Uh, in the absence of that, the exercise isn't really worth folks' time in the way that. Um, that it should be, and, and certainly now, time is time is highly limited, and the number of asks on educators' time is only increasing. So, so trying to value that time as much as possible, and making sure that exercises like evaluation are highly valuable, is just so so critical. Sarah, are there any questions that you think I should ask you about this report that I have not uh, touched on yet? Um, I love that question, and and I think. Uh, you know, I think the, the real questions for us are really the ones that we couldn't answer in this report that I think we, we want to try to explore going forward. So, for example, 
it's one thing to get information that is more accurate and potentially more actionable. And it's another thing to actually connect that information with action. So one thing we'd love to, to learn more about, and we'll spend some time exploring our data further for future reports, um, but also we'll probably want to connect with folks in the field to discuss is as you are getting more accurate information from your evaluation system, how are you connecting that with professional learning in a meaningful way? Uh, historically, so many people, so many educators, have lamented that uh, professional learning systems or even professional learning activities are not providing the kind of support and and developmental velocity that they they would like. In some cases, they're even described as just terrible waste of time. And and I imagine that 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 can be the case. But in other cases, there there are some shortcomings in in professional learning systems that, uh, that 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 good information could help overcome. So, so for example, as we wrote in a previous report called "Bridging the Gap," there are a number of metrics, some of which are outlined by ESSA, that give some basic parameters for what high-quality professional learning looks like. And you know, as you might imagine, high quality is really about connecting the professional learning to what's happening in an educator's uh, daily work and in their in their professional growth trajectory. So. So I think you know one big question we have is how much can and is this information being used to inform better professional learning? And then also, if it's not being, what are some of the barriers being used for those purposes? What are some of the barriers to making that happen? What are some of the ways that district and school leaders could shift the thinking about professional learning so that it is more valuable and more instructive to educators and also something that's really con- tightly connected to what we know about their performance and their capabilities at any given time? That's great stuff. We have been speaking with Sarah Silverman of Whiteboard Advisors about the report from the Frontline Research and Learning Institute called Bending Toward Accuracy, How Teacher Evaluations Are Evolving. Sarah, I really appreciate your insight. Thank you for talking with us today. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for the opportunity. You can read the report, Bending Toward Accuracy, at the Frontline Research and Learning Institute. Just go to frontlineinstitute.com to download it there for free. And for more information about Frontline Education and to get tons of resources for education leaders, visit FrontlineEducation.com. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.